Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time, and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests, such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play Stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. This is two parts. Remember to refer to the first part before continuing on the second part. You don't want to miss this and we will see you on this episode. So, man, there's so many directions we can go with this. <laughs> so my question is, is that, okay, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. Okay. So the elephant in the room is keto, paleo, carnivore, right? Mm. What happens when we're incorporating more plant, you know, animal base or and or plant base, and what happens to that microbial population, right? Does it lead towards more or less dysbiosis? Because you didn't mention that, right? As part of the three components that we need to know. Well, I'll start. I'll start maybe with with a quick analogy, and it's great to think of it this way as as an ecosystem, right? So, if you think of your gut, we like to call it the inner ecosystem. It's it's one of the most important ecosystems. But if you think of it like any ecosystem around your house, or or that you know of, like say the African savanna or a coral reef, when there's too much of one animal, right, things start to get out of whack. If you think of an uh, area that's been flooded. Or, or there's a natural disaster. Now there's lots of rats and there's lots of scavengers because all the trash is everywhere and things are a mess and the grocery store is blown away and all the food scattered everywhere. So now you get this abundance of scavengers, coyotes and rats and vultures. And it's not to say we have to kill all the rats and all the coyotes and all the vultures. It's that they're there for a reason. So this overgrowth is very similar to that. For some reason, a lot of the food is staying in your small intestine where it should be in a, in a healthy way digested and processed and moving into the colon. It's staying in the small intestine. So now these scavengers, these opportunists are now thriving in the small intestine. So you're going to mm-hmm. feel terrible. Now the carnivore keto diet goes, well, let's eliminate their food, right? It's like, hurry, let, let's just eliminate all the food. Let's, let's clean it all up and, and never eat it again. So now sure all the rats and vultures and opportunists go away and you start to feel better, mm-hmm. but it's when you then continue to not eat it, right? You never assess, well, why did that disaster happen? Whatever the disaster is, right? A car accident that hurt you, or maybe you had surgery on your gut. Maybe you mm-hmm. took a huge round of antibiotics, even though it might be something you might not even think of. Like it was something for a dental procedure where dentists give you a massive dose of antibiotic and it disrupts and it creates this disaster in your gut, right? So one with keto and carnivore, you don't ask those questions. You eliminate the food and you do, you feel better because you've eliminated the food source. Mm -hmm. But then if you continue down that path, you don't realize that we want rats. We want coyotes. We want vultures. Like these animals 
play an important role in your ecosystem and to just mm. eliminate them completely would be the same insanity to do that in the bigger environment. Say, let's kill all these birds and let's kill all these rodents. Well, no, they're there for a reason. So that is and oversimplified. Running off that analogy, right? Who else is eating the same food, <laughs> right? So right. you're not just getting rid of those that you thought were kind of opportunists or irritators. Others are probably eating the same berries or scavenging for the same animals that they are eating. So when you try to like starve them out, you start getting rid of others that you're like, oh, wait, wait, no, you don't leave. You're a cute little badger. You're a cute little other <laughs> creature. I didn't actually mean to get rid of you. And that's what I see with my patients where they're like, oh yeah, I started off keto carnivore and I felt better, mm-hmm. but I realized like, okay, broccoli bothers me. So, or like I was eating some fruit, but it was bothering me. So I cut it out and then I cut that out and then I cut that out and then I was feeling really low energy. So I started to try to add it back in, but I couldn't. And then I realized things I could eat before I can't eat anymore. So they Mm -hmm. lose oral tolerance to a very wide variety of foods. Their Mm -hmm. symptoms are still there because they didn't actually take care of what was wrong. They just avoided and eliminated and kind of deterred some of those creatures, if you will, from kind of coming and feasting and creating what they create as their own waste or, you know, what they create as a natural byproduct. So our goal is not to get rid of them. It's to say, okay, let's try to just re-diversify things, rebalance things. You know, if some need to move out of this general concentrated area, whether that's the small intestine or an area in the wild, let's try to kind of just sweep them along. And that's really by working on your motility. If you need to use some tools to try to redistribute things, you can use antimicrobials. You can use certain uh, specific antibiotics that are really just developed and meant for SIBO. You can use certain binders or biofilm disruptors, but you don't want to do that if you haven't really identified the root cause, because what's going to happen is you clear it out, you do all that work, spend all that time, energy, and money, and then just comes back because you never worked on the root cause. So we're all about helping our clientele find their root cause, whether that's with us working with the rest of their care team. It's such a passion of ours. It's so important because we don't want people coming back to us and saying, it's back. It happened again. We want them to say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I worked with Married to Health because that was my last stop in my IBS journey. And now I no longer identify as having IBS either. I don't meet the criteria. I don't have the symptoms. And it's not because I'm just cutting things out of my life. It's because I actually healed all those three major parts of my gut. And just like a healthy ecosystem, when you when you have a healthy ecosystem, it is now a cyclical a system, right? It is self-cleaning, self-sustaining, and and self-benefiting where now things are in a cyclical nature instead of linear where you feel like you're falling off a cliff constantly and you're constantly having to put something in, put something in. Mm-hmm. A healthy ecosystem is cyclical and and in a healthy way, you can sustain that inner ecosystem in a healthy cyclical nature. Yeah, yeah. So I scuba dive um, a lot mm. and, you know, a, a great analogy for ecosystems is sharks. Unfortunately, mm. Jaws did not do a very good job uh, <laughs> right. because it vilifies sharks and sharks are apex predators. And mm. so when you remove the top of the food chain, it's like you have imbalances. So that's also another right. great analogy. You know, yep. everything is an ecosystem. I love using that, you know, that concept because they're all interconnected, right? We're going back to that concept of everything is disconnected. And so when we're able to re-emphasize that everything is connected, then we can, you know, understand why 
you know, these cause and effects, you know, happen. I would love to, I, I, obviously every patient is different and every patient is customized and individualized from your practice and programs thus far, you had mentioned getting rid of the root cause, right? Mm-hmm. So what would be like the top three that you've observed that causes the, you know, SIBO and IBS? Great question. Yeah, yeah. that is a really great question. I would say, top. I would say for the average American, I think years of lack of fiber and imbalance of types of fiber that they're eating. Mm -hmm. I tend to see sometimes that people aren't getting enough soluble fiber that acts more like a mop and kind of hydrates their stool instead of more of that broom fiber, like apples and kale and celery. We want to also get in beans and whole grains and things like kiwis and dragon fruit. So I would say lack of fiber for years, overuse of antibiotics, Certainly, Mm -hmm. we tend to see that as such a big root cause because it will just come in and wreak havoc, you know, like Mm -hmm. you were saying with the analogy, just imbalance and disconnection. And then really anything that's going to affect nerve function, whether that's a woman who developed pelvic floor issues after her pregnancy or somebody who had a hernia that was never taken care of, somebody who developed neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, maybe somebody had bariatric surgery and their vagus nerve was cut in the process of Mm -hmm. that. Anything that really affects nerve function and that motility, that flow of the gut, such a big root cause for some of my Mm. patients. That's hypothyroidism, where their just entire metabolism and system has been slowed by that hypothyroid nature. And then that third category is a big one, type 2 diabetes, where Mm. you get that neuropathy in the gut. So a lot of people think of... enteropathy. Yeah, the enteropathy. We think of the neuropathy, which is fingers... Gastroparesis, yeah. Right. Mm. So so that's in that third category. So that that is really big. But yeah, I would... Yeah, those are the top three for sure. 60% of Americans identify as uh, being constipated. And they find that in the diabetic population, it's about 75% of diabetics. So... Definitely big, big, big contributor of constipation, anything affecting motility. But yeah, those antibiotics, I think, are insidious. We're learning more now. I think now, you know, people are a little bit more judicious both on both ends, right? You as physicians and prescribers and patients themselves are like, wait, why do I need this? But I think that's such a big one, especially like I was saying, for those antibiotic generations, I think millennials are like the antibiotic generation. And and I have to add with that just really quickly, like we, we should really try to change course immediately, but there will be it is like trying to turn, it's trying to make a U-turn in like this massive, massive ship, right? It, it's going to take time. Like, okay, I got to turn. It's like a, the widest turn because there are transgenerational effects. We've seen in studies that generations who were the antibiotic generation, like in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they're having transgenerational effects. So the gut microbiome is an inheritance that's passed on from generation to generation. And in the way it can also be positive from general generation to generation, it can be negative from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So we know, you know, parents who have IBS, their kids are more likely to have IBS because they're passing on not only their habits in the household, but the habits that shaped the microbes that they're passing on or in the case of a lot of Americans that they're not passing on as we mm. see a rise in C-sections and not breastfeeding and a lot of these actions that help to promote microbial diversity and microbial health, we're just not doing anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's massive as well. Massive. You know, what we want to see is massive poops, right? And if 60, <laughs> 70 percent, lots of it, we're, good now, we're having like, massive pumps, right? So right, right, that's right. what we want to see. Quick question about the fiber. 
fiber. I wish we could flip the script. Instead of talking about protein, we talk about fiber, right? Don't you don't you all agree, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, my understanding and is what I teach my patients is that 97% of Americans are deficient in fiber. And what I've heard from, you know, various plant-based experts is the average American gets 15 grams per day. We really need to be towards, you know, 30 to 40. So do you concur? That's the first question. And second, what does 30 to 40 grams of fiber look like realistically? Mm -hmm. Yes. Such a good question. So yes, absolutely. We agree. You know, the USDA has their guidelines, their recommendations, 25 to 38 grams of fiber a day, which honestly to me is a little bit on the light side, the anemic side. So 40, 50 plus grams is ideal for somebody with a well-functioning gut. We know, yes, maybe not every IBS SIBO patient can attain that immediately. We want to work up to those grams, especially if you're starting at that 15 gram average per day. Um, But start by adding one additional serving per week, right? In total, you want to shoot for five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day. So that's maybe one fruit, one vegetable per meal. That's not a lot, right? A serving of fruit is like half a cup. It's a small little fist. A serving of veggies is about half a cup. Leafy greens is a cup. So if you're getting one of each per meal, that is optimal. That is going to put you in those 40 to 50 grams right there. But go for more because, you know, we have seen diversity is key for the gut. There was that really amazing study that came out from the American Gut Project out of San Diego a couple years ago, and they showed those who consumed 30 plus plants per week, all of which contain fiber, right? Fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, grains, legumes, herbs, and spices had the most robust diversity in their gut. And we know in recent years as well, there are fermented food studies and probiotic food studies that showed those who consumed four to six plus servings of probiotics per day had more diversity and more richness and abundance of bugs, healthy bugs in their gut that supported their immune system and their inflammatory markers. So get in, yeah, start there, say one fruit and one veggie per meal or like two servings of something per meal. And don't forget about those whole grains, those legumes, those count as well. Those are great fiber, but don't jump all in, right? Don't go from 15 to 50 in one day. You will feel like a balloon. Maybe just start by adding one or two per week. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for joining me on another video. I'm very excited to talk about a few things in regards with checking. So when was the last time that you had a chance to visit your primary care doctor or the last time you saw your provider and had a annual check, a wellness check? When's the last time you have checked for STDs or just had a general understanding of what preventative care is or wellness. So I'm very happy to let you guys know that I've partnered with Let's Get Checked and it is a fantastic company where they do end-to-end collection and testing. And so what that means is that they provide a very great user experience, a very great, seamless, efficient process of getting your wellness check, your labs check, cholesterol, your diabetes score. They help you calculate your heart risk. They go into men's health, women's health, and also sexual health as well. And so how it works is that you go online, you order your tests, 
and you just leave a box like this, okay? What I currently have is my diabetes and heart collection. I also have one for micronutrients. And basically it comes in a box like this. So thank you for watching this video and let's all get checked together and I'll see you guys on the next one. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. I think it's so important because it's like, you know, for us, we think about everything in a metric system. We think about so many numbers and objective data and the hardest part and that finesse that we were talking about before is really like, what does that look like for the average consumer and or patient? Right. And I think translating, you know, having good demonstration, like show and tell, right. You guys have kids, right. Show and tell is probably yeah. the most fun thing. Yeah. Right. So that's what we need to do. So Let's talk about, but before we go into that, in terms of antibiotics, you know, mm -hmm. part of my job, you know, coming up, you know, I've done a lot of urgent care. And mm -hmm. one of the most favorite things that patients love to order, kind of like using me as a McDonald's Happy Meal, you know, <laughs> menu, right, is Doc. You know, nowadays, you know, we're in 2023 uh, at the time of this recording, right? By this time, most, you know, eight out of nine, 10 uh, patients out of 10 have already self-diagnosed, self-treated. They know exactly <laughs> what they want. So they come to you wanting to just order an antibiotic, right? Mm -hmm. So what are the, you know, and they think it's, you know, one and done, right? Are there long-term ramifications? And if there are, you know, how far out do we actually see beyond a seven-day course, a 10-day course? You know, do you see see long-term ramifications like six months, a year, right? Mm -hmm. You know, now we're going to transition to probiotics. Is it a good idea to take probiotics after antibiotics to kind of quote unquote replenish? Oh, that's a great question. Well, yeah. And overall, I, I think Dahlia will go into like a, just a great study that we've seen of, of well, there's multiple great studies, but one, one that was really cool that I like to mention is, uh, is one that really looked at a DNA test, right? So we, when we, let's say, do a paternity test, is be like, is that my child? Or we, you know, we see that like on the Maury show growing up. I remember those shows. <laughs> Not to date ourselves, James. Not to date myself too much, but <laughs> if you ever stayed home from school in the '90s, early 2000s, you were watching some junk. That was TV. a great show. It was a great really show. Good show. Very entertaining. Yeah. But but we all we all kind of know that, and that's based on. Our DNA, we've seen studies to show that really when we tested people and did, did that type of DNA test on them and then gave them antibiotics, after the antibiotics, it disrupted their DNA so much that they looked like a different person. So their mm -hmm. DNA not as, not it didn't resemble what it should resemble. But then after some time, and this was roughly, it can vary anywhere from, from two to six weeks, your microbiome came back and therefore your DNA came back. So that gets into really the definition of the microbiome, which it's not just microbes, that's the microbiota. The microbiome is really encompassing the postbiotics, you know, the byproducts of these microbes and how it affects our DNA and the DNA byproducts, right? So that is the microbiome and it, it really affects our DNA and our whole health. Mm -hmm. So now the question is, yeah, when you take antibiotics, it, it likely is disrupting you, especially depending on, on, you know, how much you're taking. And we do know from studies that it can take six months to fully recover. And or a year. Or a year. Or a year in some studies. Mm. And it's variable. 
variable based on the individual. You know, we always mm -hmm. say like, we all look like fingers from far away, but as we get closer, we see we all have unique fingerprints, right? So mm -hmm. were you that person who's had, whose grandparents and parents have had IBS and you're coming in with a very, you know, very you have altered. Some gut debt you inherited. <laughs> yeah, you inherited <laughs> gut debt. And I love these that, analogies we're coming up with. I love it. <laughs> so that antibiotic round is going to hit you a lot harder. So it might take you that year or more to come back, you don't right? Have as much cushion, maybe as somebody who has a rich, diverse gut that they inherited. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that can depend as far as should I use a probiotic afterward? I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of probiotic foods because they're a nice mm -hmm. package of both prebiotics and probiotics. So another analogy, if we're thinking of our gut as a beautiful garden, the probiotics are really healthy seeds that are amazing. Maybe it's like an heirloom, heirloom tomato seed. It's unique, beautiful. You want to make sure that you water it and expose it to enough sun and have healthy soil, which are the probiotics or the prebiotics rather. So getting in those probiotic foods gives you more seeds and it nourishes them as well because they come with fiber. But as far as probiotic capsules go, the answer is not always. There was a really interesting study actually that came out of Israel in 2018, and they took three groups of people. They took a stool sample from all these people in the three groups prior to administering antibiotics with one group. They administered after the antibiotics, their own fecal microbiome transplant to really re-inoculate them again with their own microbiome. With another group, they gave them probiotics following the antibiotics. And with the third group, they did nothing. And they followed these people for six months and they took stool samples mm -hmm. to analyze their microbiome, their microbiota. And actually the group that recovered their microbiome originally the slowest was a group given probiotics. And they didn't really have a reason. They said, you know, as always, more studies need to be done on this. Mm -hmm. My theory with this is when we're taking probiotics, there's usually a handful of strains in the capsules. It's like a few lactobacillus, maybe some bifidobacteria, maybe some saccharomyces if you're lucky. And there's a lot of them. So you're kind of bombing your gut with like five different strains and you're trying mm -hmm. to micromanage the gut. We have thousands of strains of different bacteria and genus and species in our gut. So in order for you to recuperate that, it's not always a great idea to just bomb it with like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm just going to give you a bunch of these ones. I That's not saying I don't recommend probiotics. It depends on the case. I sometimes do recommend probiotics. Sometimes you need certain probiotics, right? Depending on what's going on, like my histamine patients can't just take any probiotic. They need to take a specific probiotic made for those sensitive to histamines so they don't liberate anymore or, you know, depending on the case, depending on the microbiome. Um, but generally, I won't really recommend probiotics after somebody takes antibiotics. I always recommend be judicious. Yeah. Don't go to Dr. Google and then go to Dr. Zoo and insist on an antibiotic, especially if that's not his recommendation. Or if you have a virus and, or a fungal overgrowth and an antibiotic. You come over. You I'm help. just going to smack yeah. you across the head with a head of broccoli. That's what, that's what I'm going to do to you. So Love it as you should and some sauerkraut <laughs> and then send them on their way. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. Eat that that is very bread. interesting, especially in terms of the study, because you, you would think, right. But it also makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, it's, it's, you had mentioned 120, right? 120 trillion microorganisms and so many different strains and genus. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like, oh, I just have a handful and you're just inviting, you're, you're just, you know, bringing over uninvited guests, right? And they're, a lot and of the, your original, your, your original microbiome is like, who are these guys, right? Mm -hmm. So, so in a way, would you say, okay, let's just 
get back to more rich, you know, prebiotic, probiotic filled foods. And you had mentioned uh, foods that are fermentable, right? Mm -hmm. Or is that, you know, would that be a better a route? That's my recommendation. Absolutely. Get the probiotics from the food because you're getting both probiotics and prebiotic fiber. And that is going to feed a wide diversity of those different types of gut bugs, those different bacteria, those different healthy viruses, those different type of fungi. They're all going to be able to feast on that versus just taking a probiotic. And again, that might benefit, sure, certain species and certain populations in the gut, but only to a certain extent, because after a couple months, it's like you're putting in the same same species over and over and over. You want to get some of that diversity. So I always say go with the food first, eat miso, have things like kombucha that doesn't have a ton of added sugar post-fermentation, have dairy-free yogurt that's not filled with emulsifiers, have sauerkraut, have kimchi, definitely have fermented food versus pickled food. I think people get confused Mm. with that. When you're pickling something, you're just preserving it in salt or sugar and vinegar. But when you're fermenting something, there's live microbial activity. So pickles in brine, because that brine has live active cultures in it, are different than just you throwing some vinegar, salt, and cucumbers in a jar. A little bit different. So go for those fermented foods, those probiotic foods, over just pickled foods. Yeah. And I will add this, this does go back to kind of the ecosystem where there's, there's a lot of this wisdom in farming that we've had mm-hmm. for a long time and known about for a long time for those familiar with permaculture and permaculture farming, which we've done for, if not hundreds of thousands of years. And really it, it takes a lot of patience. And this is what a lot of people struggle with, right? So for permaculture farmers, when you're farming a new piece of land, they say it's going to take seven years before, and I'm not saying this is the case for someone with IBS, but but it's this idea of patience where it takes seven years for that ecosystem to align with your farming. Because mm-hmm. if you're growing some new things in that area, you might have some more rodents and then it's going to take time for the snakes to eat the rodents and then the hawks to eat the snakes. And then you're finding a healthy homeostasis in this new ecosystem. It's the same for your gut, right? So if you took an empty piece of land and just left it, Pretty, pretty soon you're going to get weeds and then you're going to get grasshoppers and you're going to get pill bugs and you're going to get bigger crit- critters over time. And really, if you just left it, it's going to bring on that diversity in and of itself. And then if you facilitate, mm-hmm. wow, even more so. So that's really the idea with your gut is, is you kind of just being in nature, eating a diversity of foods eating fermented foods like we have for thousands and thousands of years, you're going to bring on that diversity naturally. I think, you know, as society moves forward, I think our patience with time continues to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And all the things you're talking about, you know, healing takes time, right? Mm-hmm. Course correction takes time, right? Yeah. These now na- these yeah. analogies of growing the garden and reestablishing the ecosystem, that takes time. Right. Like the body doesn't care about your deadlines. The body doesn't care whether you're late to something or you need a quick, like they don't care. So I think it's about, you know, understanding and working in tune with the body. Right. We're talking Mm -hmm. about those body cues and just being in alignment 
and understanding that, you know, it takes time for the gut to heal, for everything mm-hmm. else to balance appropriately and to be on track. So, and I'll just add just really quickly with that, the, the answer to that, if you really want to save time, the answer to that is community. Because when then you plug into the right community, it can save you a lot of time. It can help mm-hmm. you. So if you're like, hey, hey, community, whether that's mom, dad, aunts, uncles, friends, health professionals, hey, can you do my dishes while I focus on XYZ? Or can you watch the kids while I, you know, go for a jog? It's really when the answer to if you're lacking time or patience or you're struggling, it is that community factor because mm-hmm. then they can cover some of the other bases for you while you focus and really hone in. So there's always a solution. <laughs> James, I don't know about you, but we live in America, okay? You know, community, I know. the appropriate environment, support. What is that? That sounds like a blue zone to me, James. Like that's, We're trying to make it a blue zone. We got to, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, community is, you know, just that, you know, awesome thing of, knowing that you don't have to do things for yourself. You don't have to go at it alone and delegating, asking for help, right? All those things contributes, whether you're going to get chronic stress or not, right? Whether you're going to sleep well at night, whether you're going to have great relationships. And again, to your, you know, for you two guys, you know, you're building great communities at the same time, which is also another ecosystem. Look at that. Okay. So what, what can you guys tell me about what guy, what what can, what can you guys tell me about anti-nutrients? A lot of times when we hear the phrase anti-nutrients, we think of oxalates, we think of, you know, all these things that work seemingly against us. Question is, do we need to be worried about them? And if we do, what do we do with them? I think worry less about them and worry more about the gut because we have certain gut bugs like oxalobacter to break down oxalates. We know also that our gut will create these compensatory uh, mechanisms. So for example, we're finding if you have fungal overgrowth, you have a harder time dealing with oxalates. So really focus on your gut and just diversifying your healthy gut bugs and all of those other things will be broken down. Lectins are naturally broken down when you cook them or when you have a healthy gut that breaks them down. They can also act in a positive way and act as antioxidants if we have a healthy gut that we're putting them in. So I think rather than focusing on all these different compounds and food and creating fear, mm-hmm. let's just focus on making our gut healthier because it's not healing you to avoid oxalates and cut out lectins completely right. and salicylates and all these other things that people become so hyper-focused on. Sure, if you need to temporarily deal with an intolerance to something, sure, maybe you're doing that for a very short period of time, four to six weeks, but you're focused on rebalancing the gut and getting in that greater diversity, that greater microbiome balance. And really, yeah, we're trying to rebrand them as microbial nutrients. Like mm. that's really what they are. They're they're anti-nutrients to us, like humans, right? Like we humans really can't do much with them, but we're not just human, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're mostly microbial. So these microbial nutrients come in and the microbes in your gut microbiome will process them, create postbiotics, which are beneficial, and then turn them into antioxidants or even turn them into B vitamins or other proteins for your body. So, so yeah, I mean, you can, you can eliminate a lot of them through cooking and processing, but Mm -hmm. then even if there's some left, which is great, your microbes will, they're prebiotic, they're going to eat them and use them. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. 
Well, guys, we're coming to a close. This has been such an amazing, you know, I learned a lot, you know, and I think, you know, when we are, you know, doing it in a way where we're just, you know, also educating as well as being with distilling and things down that we could, you know, relate. How do you apply this? How do you implement it? It's not as scary. It takes time and patience, but just understanding, right? It's really about being more understanding and more aware. How do people find you? What are what are things that you guys are offering to your community right now for those that are, don't know about you? Yeah, you, get, you can find us at marytelf.com. Um, we offer, obviously, working one-on-one with a registered dietitian, not just any registered dietitian, but an integrative registered dietitian. We All have our dietitians are. Our integrative, and we have dietitians specializing in everything from, you know, the metabolism to family and kid nutrition to even cancer oncology. We have an emotional release dietitian, mm-hmm. so we all have our own little flavors and specialties. Yeah. And then, you know, from the one-on-one, we offer also a program. So we have one of our oldest as well as enhanced and, and refined programs, which is our Good Gut SIBO IBS program. So if you liked everything Dahlia and I were talking about in terms of SIBO and IBS, we have a really and master program on it. Yeah. And, it, and it's really the only 100% plant-based option. Uh, of course, you could tweak it, modify it, but the, the baseline of it is 100% plant-based to really maximize the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. then we have really cool freebies on our website. We have some free downloads. If you hit up mm-hmm. our shop on marytelth.com, we have our good gut A to Z. You can find things like our gut nurture, which we formulated alongside Complement, who yeah. helps support mm. those on a plant-based diet. So this is our gut powder to just help those who want to keep a healthy gut, maybe help out those who haven't had a healthy gut and those who wish they did have a healthy gut. So we have all those offerings. We can be found on all platforms at Married to Health. And yeah, we have tons of freebies out there, whether that's our YouTube channel, our social media channel. We really just want to spread this word and help people heal with each meal and feel with each meal. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time out. Please keep up the good work that you guys are doing for not for each other as a family, but also for your respective communities. So I really appreciate you guys coming on. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, yeah. Guys, if you enjoyed that, please check back for another episode. If you feel like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until the next episode, please say goodbye to Dahlia and James. Hi. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes, now can be seen and heard on our new The Chef Doc app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it. So, and we'll see you on the next one.